0: Pastor David, my good friend, my brother of many years. Good morning. Good morning, church. Good morning in the balcony. How are you doing? Very good. Today we go into the second sermon of our relationship series. I want to apologize. Last week we went way, way overboard. I'm going to try and stick to my notes today so that we can get you back home in good time. Today we look at the subject of friendship. Of late I have been reading a lot of literature on men. And one thing that many psychologists, counselors and other writers appear to agree on is that most men don't have many friends. I don't know what the men in this congregation uh, think about that. But it is said that most men don't have many friends. And in fact, a lot of men don't have any friends at all. And so, the question I pose to you here today is, how many friends do you have? Think about your life. How many friends do you have? I'm not talking about... Casual acquaintances You know men like to get together Over a drink And uh, they talk about football And they, all, all, all sorts of things That are peripheral And then they, 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 they tell each other You are my very good friend That's not what I'm talking about I'm talking about good friends I'm talking about close Intimate friends How many do you have? Most of us, most of us don't have many On countless occasions, as I have counseled with people, they have told me that they feel lonely. Some of them go to their churches, but they still feel lonely. There are people here today who come Sunday after Sunday and leave feeling lonely. They are lonely, yet they come from families. They are lonely, yet they come from uh, workplaces. They they are in charmers and groups, yet they still feel lonely. The writer of Proverbs said it this way in Proverbs chapter 17 and verse number 17. A friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. Today's sermon is about friendship. And Proverbs chapter 18 verse 24 says, There are friends who destroy each other, but a real friend sticks closer than a brother. Have you ever had a friend who stuck closer than a brother? As I think about my life, I've had a few. Not many, but a few. Because such a friendship is a rare gift from God. It is pure grace. It is not earned, and it is not deserved. It is a gift of God. Today we will look at one of the most powerful stories in the Bible. A story of friendship. A very special friendship between two young men, David and Jonathan. That story is found in the book of 1 Samuel. And we are going to look at this relationship. How it starts, how it develops. And we are going to draw principles of how we can uh, live in meaningful Uh, relationships that lead into friendships that last a lifetime. And so the first principle that I'm going to uh, point out to you from the life of these two young men is what I'm going to call commitment. In 1 Samuel chapter 18 and verse 1 to verse 4, we get the first glimpse of David and Jonathan. And remember this is a time when Israel is at war. The people of Israel are confounded by a formidable enemy, the Philistines. And the Philistines have a great warrior, a giant warrior, a massive man. And this man has threatened them and is mocking them and is mocking their God. And David, a little shepherd boy, is sent by his father to take provisions for his brothers who are part of the, the Israelite army. And as he, as, as he gets to the battlefront, he listens and he hears this man mocking the God of Israel. And he stands up by faith. He chooses to confront this enemy, Goliath. And by the grace of God, David, a little boy, destroys this enemy. That's the context of 1 Samuel chapter 18. And we read from verse 1. And the Bible says after David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David and loved him as himself. David kills this enemy. He cuts off his head and he goes to present the head to the king. But something very dramatic happens. The son of the king becomes David's friend. It will help to know a couple of facts behind that statement. First of all, Jonathan was the son of the king. He was the heir apparent. He was the next in line to become king. Second, I want you to understand that Jonathan is himself a brave warrior. He had proved it in the battle of Michmash some months earlier when he led the fight against the Philistines. But thirdly, Jonathan had witnessed the mighty victory that David had won against this giant. And no doubt that explains why this friendship was born. Because Jonathan saw in David a kindred spirit. Pastor David has just been narrating how we've known each other for a long time. We've worked together for a long time. In Pastor David, I see a kindred spirit. A man with a like mind and a like heart. Kindred spirit. Do you have anybody that, 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 that you look at and you just feel a kindred spirit? Jonathan saw in David a kindred spirit because David was a warrior just like him. David was a patriot just like him. David was a man of faith just like him. But there's more to it than that. Our text says, Jonathan became one in spirit. With David, the King James version actually says it better, uh, puts that verse a little better. It says, "The soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David. One soul knit with another." It's a word, the, a Hebrew word. When translated, it means to bind together with ropes. You might even say, that "The soul of Jonathan." was knotted with the soul of David. They were joined inseparably. When you knit two pieces of thread together, the two are joined into something bigger and something better than they were before. So it was with David and Jonathan. The Bible adds an interesting fact when it says that Jonathan loved David as himself it never says the reverse. You search the scriptures and it never says that David loved Jonathan more than himself. In fact, all the way through, it seems like the initiative always comes from Jonathan. It wasn't a completely equal relationship. And I want to say, brothers and sisters, rarely on earth will you find an equal relationship anyway. I don't think David ever knew the depth of friendship for Jonathan that Jonathan knew for David. They loved each other, but Jonathan loved David even more. That's a fact that we all have to face. Because in almost every relationship, one person will put more into it than the other will. I think God knew that David needed a friend. And he gave David the friend that he needed. All the way through, you find that the burden is on Jonathan. And every time it comes through and through because the Bible says a friend loves at all times. And there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Does this seem unfair? If it does, maybe it's because we tend to evaluate our friendships on the basis of whether they meet our needs and not on the basis of whether they meet the needs of someone else. Remember my sermon from last week. Relationships are not about you. You don't love somebody because of what you get from it. It is about the other person. And as long as I focus on myself, I'm not ever going to have many close friends. So brothers and sisters, the principle is if you want to have meaningful relationships, you've got to be the one putting more into it. You've got to be the one ready to put in the hard work. I want you to notice in verse 4, It says, Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and he gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow and his belt. Brothers and sisters, I want you to understand that his robe was the robe the the crown prince wore. Jonathan was a prince. The robe that he wore was a royal vestment It symbolized that he was next in line to the throne. By giving it to David, he was saying, I know that you will one of these days be king and not me. For so many of us, our friendships are only veiled competitions. Our envy keeps us from getting too close. We feel like we have to keep score. Jonathan loved David as himself and he said, in effect, I'm going to be your friend and I'm going to throw away the scorecard. I'm fully committed to seeing God's best in your life, even if it means I take the second, uh, the second sport. But how many of us are ever willing to do that in a friendship? Last week, I spoke to a man who was retrenched a few years back. Not not few, many years now. And this man was narrating to me his journey and how difficult it has been. And he said to me, you know, Ron, I've stopped attending men's, men's, men's fellowships because when you go there, it's like when we speak about the success of men, they're just telling you how well they're doing, how much they're growing in their career. What about me? Who is struggling? Who is facing obstacles? The Bible says Jonathan's message to David was different. His message was that I am committed to seeing God's best in your life even if it means that I take the second sport. Where does biblical friendship begin? It begins with commitment. That commitment has two parts. First of all, it is a commitment made on the basis of a shared faith in God. The covenant of friendship meant something because it was a covenant that was made in the presence of God. And that's why we tell Um, a, a, a man and a woman who fall in love that they need to come and make that covenant in the presence of God because when a covenant is made before God it accounts for something but secondly it is a commitment to see God's plan come about no matter what costs me personally it is not about me Jonathan said, David, someday you're going to be the king. And that means that I may never be king. You're going to be the top man and get all the glory. And that's okay with me. How many of us can ever say that to our friends, to our partners? How many of us get to that point in relationship? For so many of us, our friendships are veiled competitions. Our envy keeps us from getting too close. We feel like we have to keep the score. Jonathan loved David as himself. And he said, in effect, I'm going to be your friend. And I'm going to throw away the scorecard. The second principle we draw from this friendship is what I call... The principle of protection. In 1 Samuel chapter 19, from verse 1 to verse 7, it reveals to us the quality of protection. But between these two texts is the account of souls exploding jealousy. The Bible says that as David um, slayed the, 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 the giant, the women began singing songs of praise. And the Bible records that they sang song, a song saying, Saul has slain his thousands, but David is tens of thousands. And this causes Saul to burn with jealousy. It makes him paranoid. And it, it makes him, it turns him into a killer. Six times the Bible records, Saul tried to kill David. And that puts Jonathan, the son of this jealous king, in a very difficult position. Chapter 19 of 1 Samuel, verse 1 to verse 3 says, Saul told his son, Jonathan, and all the attendants to kill David. But Jonathan was very fond of David and warned him, My father Saul is looking for a chance to kill you. Be on your guard tomorrow morning. Go into hiding and stay there. I will go out and stand with my father in the field where you are. I'll speak to him about you and will tell you what I, f- what I find out. The text goes on to tell how Jonathan speaks to his father Saul in David's defense. And, it, and he pointed out to his father that David had done nothing wrong. He reminds his father that David, in fact, had saved Israel by killing the giant Goliath. He told his father that if he kills David, if he destroys David, innocent blood will be on his hands. It was a courageous thing to do. But remember, Jonathan did not have to do it. But he does it anyway. He did it because he wanted to. What does it mean to protect your friends Two things primarily. Number one, it means that you are not ashamed to stand with them when things are rough. We all have our fair share of friends who just stick by us when things are going well. I call them fair-weather friends. Their major talent is disappearing when the hard times come. But the Bible says a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. But number two, it means that you go out of your way to get your friend out of the jam that they may be in. If that means covering for them, then you will cover for them. If that means picking up for them, then that's what you do. That's what Jonathan did for David. The third principle that we draw from this story of this wonderful friendship in the Bible is what I call risk. In chapter 20, we draw the quality of risk. Risk is simply a step beyond protection. It means going so far to protect your friend that if you don't succeed in rescuing them, then both of you are going to fall together. This Brothers and sisters is what love is all about. David is now convinced that the king Saul will never change his mind. And within hours, David must leave Saul's court. He must leave the palace and he must flee. He is about to become public enemy number one. But before he leaves, Jonathan, his friend, wants to try one more time to patch things up between his dad, the king, and his best friend. So, they come up with a plan. They want to see how Saul will react to David's absence from a festival, a celebration that was called the New Moon Festival. David already knows, he can sense that uh, this will not work. He already knows how Saul is going to react, but he goes along with a plan for the sake of his friend Jonathan. And here's how the plan would work. While Jonathan was attending the the New Moon Festival with his father, David would go into the fields and hide uh, near a pile of stones that was called Ezel. Then Jonathan would come out and shoot an arrow. He'd come out with a bow and arrow and he would shoot an arrow. And the, and the the arrows would land near the pile of stones where David was hiding. Jonathan would either say the arrows are near you. That would mean that David was safe. And if he said the arrows are beyond you, that would mean that David was in danger and needed to flee as fast as as, as he could. When Jonathan went to see his father, brothers, and sisters, things blew up in his, in his face. I want you to look at verse 30 and see what the Bible records. The Bible says, Saul's anger flared up at Jonathan and he said to him, you son of a perverse and rebellious woman. You know there's a modern day swear word uh, that, is, that resembles that. It, it probably comes, comes, comes from that one. Don't I know you have sided with the son of Jesse to your, to your own shame and the shame of the mother who bore you? He said to his son, you make me sick. I wish you had never been born. And look at verse 33. It says, but Saul held his spear at him to kill him. Then Jonathan knew that his father intended to kill David. You know, Jonathan has taken a risk. He's gone to speak to his father. But things blow up in his face. His father even throws a spear at him. And so early the next morning, what does he do? Just after sunrise, Jonathan goes out and he shoots an arrow. He shoots three arrows, the Bible records. And he sends a boy out to pick the arrows. And he cries out so that David could hear. And he says the words, Isn't the arrow beyond you? And then he added, Hurry, go quickly, don't stop it was a sign to David that he was in desperate danger. And so the boy goes, he collects the arrows, and he comes back into town. David was supposed to leave, but he couldn't first leave before he met his friend. He realizes that it was time for the two of them to separate. And the Bible says that David makes an effort and The two of them get together. And when they meet, David bowed before Jonathan three times with his face to the ground. Then the Bible says in verse number 41 that the two of them kissed each other and wept together. Two men, two grown men, warriors, soldiers, but they wept together. They kissed each other and they wept together. And the Bible adds an important detail, an interesting detail, because it says that David wept the most. Why? Because he recognized for the first time what Jonathan had done for him. He had risked his life to save him. And he had done it gladly, without complaint, because that's what friends do for each other. You know, brothers and sisters, you might be in a relationship where you are giving and giving and giving. But I want to tell you, one of these days, one of these days, your friend will recognize. The person on the other side will recognize what you are doing. The Bible says at this point, David recognized what Jonathan had sacrificed for him. John chapter 15 verse 13 says greater love has not man than this, than he laid down his life for his friends. That's what Jonathan in essence did for David. And I want to tell you brothers and sisters, that's what the Lord Jesus Christ did for us. And that's what we are called to do for one another. This is the kind of love that will distinguish us from the world. By this, the world will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This is the love that we are called to have for one another. But the fourth and final um, principle that I will share with you from this story, there are, there are probably many, many more that you can draw from this. But the fourth and final one for today, I will call it encouragement. In First Samuel chapter 23, from verse 16 to verse 18. Some time has now passed. Months have passed. Years have passed. David is long gone from Saul's Saul's, um, uh, palace. Is now on the run. He's a bandit. He's a fugitive. He's a man on the run. He has come to the wilderness of Ziph. And the and this place is one of the most desolate places of Israel. This is a dry place. A place that has nothing. David wanders from place to place. He's running. He's hiding. He's always looking over his shoulders. You know, the last time my family and I visited the U.S., we, we found many, many um, Kenyans who live in the United States, there are many, many Kenyans who have gone there and they've succeeded. They have done very well. They've gotten good work. They've accumulated wealth and they're living very, very good, decent lives. But then there's another group of Kenyans out there who I don't know why they, they, stay, they choose to stay there. These guys' lives are a mess. They have to work, I don't know how many jobs to simply make ends meet. They are so busy. You try to meet with them, they can't meet you. They, are, they have no time. They, are, they wake up and they are moving from one job to another job to another job. And any time immigration is around, they are, they are fearful because they, 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 are, they are always looking behind their shoulders, wondering, could this be the day that I get caught? And I'm deported back to Kenya. David is a fugitive. He's in exactly the same situation. He's constantly looking behind his shoulders to see, could this be the day that I get caught? And this man is tired. He's scared. He's frustrated. Saul and his men are closing in for the final kill. In fact, the Bible says that The king Saul sent all his forces to capture David and to kill him. The entire state machinery is after David. You may not understand what that means. I'm I'm, I'm a lawyer and uh, once in a while I've I've been involved in, uh, especially during this season of anti-corruption, when your name appears in the paper and the DPP announces that uh, uh, there's a warrant of arrest out for XYZ, you, you will never understand what those people go through. I remember one of the times I was processing a client of mine at the anti-corruption uh, before they were presented in court and I was listening to narration by one of his co-accused and he was telling me how, he was telling us how the, the, the officers came and they jumped over his gate. They didn't even go through the gate. They jumped over his gate And they go and they smash the door. He doesn't know. He had just served a meal. Dinner had been served. And the door is smashed. And these people come and they arrest you. That's what it means to have the state machinery against you. David is in such a situation. David is fearful. David is tired. He has been running for a long period of time. David has been down for so long that he has to look up to see the bottom. And he's asking the question, where is God now? The victory over Goliath appears to be a distant memory. Where is the Lord when I need him? Has the Lord gone to sleep? Doesn't he know what I'm going through? If you want to know what David is thinking, I want you to read Psalm chapter 54. Read Psalm 54 in your, in your own time. Because that's a psalm that David wrote in the wilderness of Ziph. He was at his lowest ebb when he wrote that psalm. And just at that moment of crisis, Jonathan shows up. How Jonathan got wind of David's whereabouts, we do not know. How Jonathan managed to sleep past Saul's army, we do not know. But somehow, Jonathan shows up when David needs him most. One of the marks of a true friend, brothers and sisters, is that he will be there when there is every reason for him not to be. There was really no reason For this prince to go looking for David. After all, now David had been sent away. He had to flee. And in essence, Jonathan was now... His throne would have been secure. This was the man who would have been a threat to Jonathan becoming king. But no, not Jonathan. Jonathan goes to look for his friend. Who is in the deepest place. Look at what it says in... Chapter 23 and verse 16. It says, And Saul's son Jonathan went to David at Horish, and helped him find strength in God. Literally, this means he strengthened his hand in God. That, brothers and sisters, is the fourth quality of biblical friendship. It is the finest thing one friend can do for another. To help your friend Find strength in God. That goes beyond commitment. That goes beyond protection. That goes beyond risk. To encourage someone is to put courage back into someone. To strengthen the hands that are weak. To lift up arms that have dropped. To pick up the runner and put him back in the race. Is there somebody here today who might be looking for just exactly that kind of a friend? Is there someone here who might be so, so down? Life has beaten you up so much that all you're looking for, literally, is just some encouragement. The Bible tells us that Jonathan does it for David. He says Four things to David in verse number 17. First, he says that my father Saul will not lay a hand on you. But second, he says, You will one of these days be the king of Israel. Third, he says to David, I will serve by your side. And fourth, he says, Even my father knows that this is true. What a man. What faith in God. What a friend. Jonathan risked his life to make his way to David and to say to this fugitive this, this bandit my friend you are going to make it God has promised and someday you are going to be king and you know what I am willing to serve beside you friends this is the call of God We are called to find biblical friendship. You know what? This was the last time that David ever saw Jonathan alive. These two friends were never to meet again on this side of of life. Because Jonathan would later die by his father's side fighting the Philistines at Mount Gilboa. And the news filtered that the king had died. And alongside him, his son, Jonathan, had also died. The news got to David. And Second Samuel, chapter 1, verse 26 to verse 27, records David's reaction. David could have been happy that now the enemy had been vanqu- vanquished. The enemy had been destroyed. Now he could peacefully go back and become king. But look at David's words. Verse 26 of 2 Samuel chapter 1. I grieve for you Jonathan, my brother. You were very dear to me. Your love was wonderful. More wonderful than that of women. And then he cried out Oh, How the mighty have fallen. Brothers and sisters, please remember that it is Jonathan who invested more in this relationship right through. But right at the end, something has happened and David has realized, he has recognized that this guy really, really was his friend. And he cries out he weeps, he cries out for his friend. It is recorded that David wept bitterly. He cried out for his friends. There are four qualities that we've talked about. We've talked about commitment. We've talked about protection. We've talked about risk. We've talked about encouragement. Those words describe this friendship, but they don't explain it. You have to go a little deeper if you want to understand Back in chapter 20, verse 23 is the answer. Jonathan is talking to David and he says, Remember the Lord is witness between you and me forever. Literally, it reads, Remember the Lord is between you and me forever. When the Lord is between two people, their friendship can grow, their friendship can develop, their friendship can last forever. When the Lord is between two people, their friendship can survive separation. Their friendship can survive misunderstanding. Their friendship can survive hard times. A godly friendship is a friendship that is built on God, it rests on Him, and He is between friends, holding them together. Do you want to have meaningful relationships? Friendships that last a lifetime? Then you need to have God between you. As I prepared this sermon, I reflected on my own life and I thought about my closest friends. My best friend is my wife. I love that woman absolutely as we journey together through life my prayer is that God will grant that we may grow old together oh how I look forward to the days when I'm old and can't move as the way I do today and my wife perhaps flowing with white hair white, grey, beautiful hair and we are there together because she's my best friend. But among my best friends is also my mom. My mom is a woman who has been there for me as long, as far back as I remember. And today I am who I am because she never gave up on me. But three years ago, I lost another very important and significant friend. In my life. My mom-in-law who has since rested with the Lord. Ever since I asked for her daughter's hand in marriage. This woman loved me as her son. She embraced me as as her son. And she was there for me. In fact, I cannot think of any significant event in my life since I got married. Where my mother-in-law was not a part of it. I particularly remember the day, uh, perhaps about 15, 16 years ago now, when my dad went to be with the Lord, the day that my dad passed away. We lived in Karen, and my wife was traveling. Um, She was on a work assignment out of the country. And I got a call very early in the morning that my dad had... um, ...suffered from cardiac arrest and he had been rushed to hospital in an ambulance. And so I got into my car and I started driving. And it was a day, this was a day when schools were reopening. So the traffic was terrible. Those were the days when Gong Road, <laughs> Gong Road was Gong Road. It had only one lane. And so I'm trying to get, get down to hospital. And there, there's just so much traffic... As I arrived at the Uchumi Hyper along Gong Road, as it then was, I got a call from my brother-in-law who was at the hospital to inform me that my dad had rested. Now, those of you who have lost a parent know just what a moment that, that is. That is one of your lowest moments. I didn't know what to do. The emotion that gripped me I I was paralyzed and so I pulled over to the side of the road right there on the opposite side of Ngong Uchumi Uchumi, Hyper and I didn't know my wife was out of the country who could I call who would understand me at that point who would be able to stand with me I called my mother-in-law and you know what she did This lady cried with me. This lady prayed with me. This lady encouraged me. And she told me, son, you will make it. And during that entire period, as we prepared to lay my dad's body to rest, my mother-in-law was always by my side. I remember when uh, the casket was being lowered, as I held my wife's hand, my mother-in-law was standing right behind me. I remember another relationship, another very special friend, my brother-in-law, my wife's younger brother. During this, this period, when we were preparing for, 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 for the burial, for the funeral, my car broke down. <laughs> the way we... We we, we deal with funerals in our part of the world is very interesting because you're grieving you're you're down and yet you have so much to do. You have to move from this place to that place too. You have to make sure this is in order and that is in order. And so my car broke down. I put it in the garage and I'm walking uh, on the streets and my brother-in-law sees me. He's driving in his car with his friend and he pulls over to the side, and he, he asks me, "Why are you walking?" And I tell him, "My car is broken down." And he tells his friends, "Get out." And he takes the car, the, the keys, and he gives gives me the keys, and he tells me, Ron If I can make your life easier, even one single bit, then that's what I will do." And they walk, they walk, they walk, and I had that car during the entire period. Of my dad's funeral. I share that story because. It doesn't matter what relationship you are in. Whether if you are a mother in this place. You have had a real life story of a mother. Who has made a difference. In the son's life. If you are a father-in-law or a mother-in-law. You listen. Listen to this story of a real real life story. Of a mother-in-law. I loved my mother-in-law. If you're a brother-in-law, a cousin, whatever relationship you're in, brothers and sisters, you can make a difference. Because God does not bless you just for you. God intends that his blessing on your life you would be a conduit of his blessing to other people. God blesses you so that you May be a blessing to somebody else. I want to conclude this story. at uh, This sermon rather. By sharing the words of a song. By a gentleman called Michael W. Smith. He wrote a, f- a, a song. About friends. And as I close this sermon. I share the words of the chorus with you. And this is what Michael W. Smith says. Friends are friends forever. When the Lord is the Lord of them. And a friend will not say never, for the welcome will not end. Though it's hard to let you go, in the Father's hands we know that a lifetime is not too long to live as friends. Shall we bow our heads in prayer? We pray, Lord, this morning, this afternoon, that you will deepen us for we live too much in the shallows of casual friendships we take each other so much for granted and we pass by without really looking we listen without really hearing today Lord your word has come to us and you are telling us to be more like jesus who laid down his life for his friends to be like jonathan who laid down his life for his friend david lord i pray that in this place you will raise up many 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 friendships may relationships be forever changed. may our lives be forever changed because of what you're going to do in our hearts and in our lives Just before we close this time, with every head bowed and with every eye closed, I want to just very quickly, very quickly, we will not extend this time. You may be here and you're one of those that you would say, I really want to have a life of meaning. I want to have a life of meaningful relationships. Relationships, meaningful relationships start with the Lord. You can't have meaningful relationships outside of the Lord. And if you're here, you've never believed, you've never invited Jesus to be Lord, Savior of your life, I want to pray for you. I would like to pray for you. I will do that as you indicate by raising up your hand. Real meaning of life starts with Jesus. Is there anyone this afternoon? Just slip up your hand. I will see it and I will pray for you. With every head bowed and every eye closed, is there anyone this afternoon? Just slip up your hand and I will pray for you anyone this afternoon okay Christian friends brothers and sisters God wants you to find meaningful relationships God wants you to be the Jonathan perhaps God is calling you to be the Jonathan in, in your marriage perhaps God is calling you to be the Jonathan in your family Your family has let you down. There's pain, there's anguish, there's agony. It's not easy. But God is calling you to love, to lay down your life. Perhaps it's in your workplace. I don't know what relationship. But surely God is calling us to sacrifice somewhere. And you're saying, Brother, pray for me, because I need God to help me. I need, as I Make this commitment to love. I need God to help me. I want to pray for you. And I will do that. That's your prayer. That, that's the prayer of you. Please just slip up your I'd like to pray for you. Anybody here. Please, like please just raise up your Thank you. Thank you. Hands are going up. Hands are going up all over the place. Too long to live.